Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 40K Fireside Podcast. I'm David Gaylor, and I'm joined by my good friend, Vic Vijay. Together, we discuss 40K in the meta from our perspective, along with events we've recently been to and those that have got coming up. So come on down to the fireside and listen. Okay, everyone, welcome back to episode 28 of 40K Fireside. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, we've got an, a new edition, which has just launched. Um, the waiting is finally over. We've got the points, the rules, the indexes. We can start to put things together and actually, you know, play the game a little bit, test things out a little bit and see how the, the game has changed, you know, and we've uh, done a little bit of this. We've started putting things together and um, we wanted to share our initial kind of thoughts, feedback. We've been pretty intense with our practice slightly in separated groups because it was kind of WTC practice. So mm -hmm. we're, we're, me and Dave are kind of convening again now to, to kind of share our thoughts. And this episode is, I think, primarily going to be Dave's thoughts. I think Dave has like spent a lot of time and energy kind of <laughs> analyzing things. And he, you know, I, I find it really interesting the way that you feel you have to share with the community important points that you've noted. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to do it in the format of almost like a, a critique, mm -hmm. things yep. which we've identified that could be a problem in the game. And then, you know, towards the end of the episode, we'll maybe consider some simple solutions that could, could be done. Yep. Um, but, you know, it's going to be a bit of an intense episode for the listeners. And mm -hmm. we, would, we would love to hear your comments, your thoughts, if you agree with us on the points that are kind of being discussed here and maybe your own solutions as well. So without further ado, Dave, I'm going to gonna pass the mic over to you and, <laughs> and you can kind of take it away from here, man. Yeah, yeah. First of all, what I would say is I suspect we might get a few uh, new listeners on this episode. And what I would say is that what I'm about to say is, uh, you know, kind of my assessment, but it's also a reflection of the assessment of people that I've talked to. I chat about the game a lot. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a reflection of thoughts from uh, my teammates, uh, people in the community. So I actually sent this out to uh, three or four different people. This is what I'm going to read here, a bit of a monologue to get feedback. I asked for suggestions from uh, directly from all my teammates around what do you think is not good in the game uh, to just make sure I touched kind of all the bases here. Because it's quite difficult to be all encompassing and I'm sure I might get some things wrong, but I hope the broad point kind of comes across. Um, so it's going to be a little bit different this episode, but I think that, you know, hope that there's going to be some positivity come out of it. And apologies if I stumble. I'm literally reading this from my Google Docs uh, document. <laughs> so we're not going off the top of our head on this one. I felt kind of important. That it was important enough to try and get it uh, straight. And I hope that after something like this happens, uh, I hope that we can get other people from the community to kind of chat about their experiences of it. Uh, because I think that's only going to be healthy for the game. And we, at the end of the day, want the same thing. Absolutely. And I think with that, maybe we hit a little bit of jazz music and come back straight into Dave. All right, we're back and let's begin. This is entitled, much like the episode title, A Damning Critique of 10th Edition. I'd like to begin by saying that this episode might not be as positive as we try to be. Over the course of 40k Fireside, both Vic and I have tried to use our platform to influence aspects of the game and community for the better. And if there's anything to take away from this critique, it's that Warhammer is a fantastic game, although it's going to need a lot of work to improve. I'll be taking you through what I hope is a fair and balanced assessment of 10th edition. It will be split into three main sections, the core rules, army points, and faction identity. But we're going to cover faction identity sort of off the top of our head if we get to it. For context, I've played roughly seven games of 10th edition to date, I've watched quite a few, and I've talked with both high-level players and community members about their thoughts of the state of 10th edition. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with what I'm going to say, and that's good. I hope it sparks some discussion. So after this podcast, we'd love to hear your thoughts on our critique and read what you have to say about 10th edition. The Core Rules. Section 1. A common theme throughout the design of 10th edition to me could be summed up as change for the sake of change. I appreciate the position Games Workshop are in and probably the pressure they feel to differentiate 10th edition and its core rules from 9th edition. However, 9th edition really was the pinnacle of game design for Warhammer as I see it. It achieved both introducing new, intuitive, fast, balanced rules and tweaked existing rules. 
Two great examples of this would be obscuring and the fight phase, where you can no longer fight units that you didn't charge, and obscuring being a great rule that locked line of sight and achieved what it wanted to intend. What's great about these rules is that they're clear, and most importantly, they facilitate the game to be played between both players. In my opinion, the latter part here is very important. In contrast, let's examine some of the rules for 10th edition. I'll start with gaining the benefits of cover. In 10th edition, ruined terrain as described as such that if the target model is not fully visible because of this terrain feature, then it gains the benefit of cover. This has two major implications. Firstly, that vehicles gain cover, and secondly, that you gain cover even if a single guardsman's thumb is sticking out the rear and, and isn't visible because of the terrain feature or antenna or exhaust pipe. Okay, so why is this bad for game design? Well, I don't think anyone would agree that flavor-wise, attacks should re receive cover because a LAS cannon can't see your exhaust pipe if your model is just... This just doesn't make sense. <laughs> but more importantly, what it means is that vehicles now essentially get plus one save. Now, in a world where vehicles are effectively being wounded on fives instead of threes and fours by most common weapons, and where the AP is being reduced, this results in vehicles reliably taking four plus five plus saves in what would have otherwise been getting no save at all. Spamming cover for the game is not healthy. It's not cumbersome to administrate which models are or are not fully visible, and compared to simply assessing which models are in or touching terrain, it takes significantly longer when actually assessing which models receive cover. This concept, rule concept, is vastly inferior, in my opinion, to 9th edition. Now on to charging. I understand that I understand what GW have tried to do here. They've tried to speed up and in their minds simplify the charge phase or the fight phase. They've utterly failed to do this at all. I would argue that the current fight phase rules allow for 90% as much movement expression as it did in 9th edition, but with 250% of the effort. Very commonly across my games, games that I've watched and talking with other people, but I notice the very same trick done every single time. It works as follows. Instead of moving models that could base contact if you roll a charge high enough to do so, you simply move models not in base, not that could not base contact where those models could have. What this effectively does is move block your own models so they can no longer be in base contact, then pile in and consolidate as per the rules. There are two fundamental problems with this. A. The same result is being achieved. However, the consolidate and pile in rules actually have more administrative constraints when playing with them. B. Doing this requires determining model to model extreme precise measurements of almost every model in your unit. And as soon as the player has picked up a model and moved it too quickly, it is no longer possible to determine where the model is or how far it exactly could go. In a competitive game, this is a nightmare to actually undertake, but it is required. You have to bring spare additional bases to demonstrate to your opponent where models could move in very precise movements. I think on average, this probably takes three to four times longer than it did in ninth edition. And, it's, and this is an already very complex phase of the game. Now onto flying models. A great aspect of playing Warhammer 40k with flying models is that you have the player agency to move them from point to point. You didn't care how tall that ruin is, you just fly over it. Now what's wrong with this concept? Well, frankly, as someone who played almost no flying units, nothing at all, it was flavorful. I enjoyed it. It was thematic and competitive design choice into what units you could pick and play. Now, granted, do I think that some fly units were still pointed a little too cheaply? Yeah, speeders, yes, but simply increasing the points cost to account for that benefit takes 15 minutes of work. Now, what do we have now? Oh, look at my winged hive tyrant, a huge model with a very large wingspan. He, how can he, now, now that he can freely be shot and targeted, now has to rotate his wings to get around ruins instead of simply flying over them, which fundamentally reduces his move characteristic to zero. Yep, that's right, zero. Because you're never going to be able to play this model in a competitive standpoint, at least. <laughs> the most devastating of them all. That's right, devastating wounds. We, of course, had to get there. The difference between the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots, don't have devastating wounds in your profile? What are you doing, mate? How do you expect to be able to kill a wide range of any possible target with regardless of its defensive profile? 
<laughs> so I didn't play Warhammer back when D weapons were around, which was, uh, as far as I understand, the ability to instantly destroy a model depending on your dice roll. But Devastating Wounds doesn't seem that far off it. This is by far the most outrageous and awful weapon profile I've seen. Here are its primary issues. Devastating Wounds can trigger from substituted or manipulated dice rolls. You can, make, you can trigger a Devastating Wound from other abilities such as Anti-X, and you can simply make a wound roll count as a 6. Point 2. Devastating Wounds entirely invalidates the defensive profile of the target unit. Point 3. Devastating Wounds are extremely common. Many of the most egregious profiles have in their own datasheet the ability to trigger Anti-X and Devastating Wounds, which is by far the most powerful offensive synergy in the game. What this does is it creates a weapon profile that's so obviously powerful, and the difference between having Devastating Wounds and not, and not having it, could almost mean a model should never be pointed, should be pointed, at almost 50 to 100% more than it currently does. Unfortunately, as we'll get into later, Games Workshop seem to have failed to realize this. On to the most, on to one of the most frustrating game design elements. That's right, it's actually somehow manages to get worse from here. My good and dear friend, Overwatch. Oh boy. Aside from Phantasm potentially being one of the most broken stratagems ever printed, Overwatch is both a nightmare to play with during the game and is insanely powerful if your army has access to the right weapon profiles to use it. For reference, you can trigger Overwatch when an enemy unit either starts or ends a movement within 24 inches of your model, and now just reading this, in the charge phase as well. Do you want to overwatch this unit? Okay, I'm going to start moving this one. Do, do, do you want to overwatch this unit? Well, okay, wait. You did want to overwatch that? No? Uh, okay, cool. All right, I'm just going to keep moving at this point. That's kind of how it goes in the game. This is stopping it. This stopping and starting of a phase that was once used to be fluid is extremely jarring. This slows the game down to a literal snail pace because overwatch can be triggered almost any time an opponent moves a model. How do you fairly administrate this? How do you tell your opponent before the game, look, I'm just going to move my models. I want you to be diligent on saying when you are going to overwatch or if you're not going to overwatch. Or do you ask your opponent 15 times in a turn? Neither is a good solution to socially playing the game. But let's get to the real broken part of overwatch. One CP? Shoot again? I'm sold. God, devastating wounds? Sustained hits? Indirect fire? Got a free way to overwatch? Overwatch you on fours? Got a torrent weapon? I think I've made my point. Printing core rules for stratagems for one CP that any army can functionally spam changes the game, and in this case, all for the worse. The amount of good rules left is getting lonely. Lone operative. It's far too powerful and uninteractive. Models that have lone operatives are so blatantly obvious in the use cases that it leaves characters without lone operatives swinging in the wind. Now I get their reasoning for doing this. Characters can now freely be targeted, so it's a way of differentiating them. But from my playtest games, I found that in 10th edition is an addition of shooting and vehicles. And when this is prevalent, to survive on an objective, you either need to be tanky yourself, or skewed with horde, or simply just be untargetable. That's great levels of interaction. And for the record, 12 inches is a very small margin to play with. Okay, indirectly, Games Workshop have made one great rule for 10th edition. Indirect fire. No, I'm just joking. For some completely illogical reason, Games Workshop have either failed to have their finger on the pulse of the game and the community for the last two years, or they've either just didn't sell enough manticores. The change to indirect fire represents a dismal backwater of uninteractive and boring gameplay. Indirect fire, en masse, makes for simply dull, low-skill gameplay. That's the only way to look at it. You're ignoring so many fundamental parts of the game, like movement, positioning and strategy and simply opting to blast your opponent off the board but what do we get in the wake of this indirect fire actually significantly improved this edition with devastating wounds being one focal point indirect fire is definitely the other oh sorry with devastating wounds being one focal point indirect fire is definitely the other coupled with free overwatch better overwatch ignore cover plus one to hit from heavy, plus one ballistic skill, you can very easily get indirect fire that's more accurate than the Imperium's finest weaponsmiths. It baffles me why Games Workshop would reduce indirect fire penalty 
and then print keywords that actively make the direct indirect fire weapons better, such as blast and heavy, instead of opting to create more interactive parts of the game stronger. One rule to rule them all. Oh, sorry. One rule to tower over them all. That's right. <laughs> Towering. The rule we all knew might come, but really didn't want. Where 9th edition introduced one of the cleanest positive terrain rules, obscuring, 10th edition decided to invalidate it. Hold my beer. Towering effectively allows a user to gain indirect fire by being able to see through terrain. And guess what? Most of our terrain is currently designed for 9th edition, where we tow into runes and shoot, because that's the way that we enjoy the game. Okay, in a perfect world, this might not matter, because there's a tournament, but for a tournament organizer, this is an absolute nightmare. What if your terrain set was designed for 9th edition, where you have a window and a lip so that you could use 9th edition rules beautifully and intuitively to touch in and shoot through it? <laughs> well, son, throw that in the garbage, because your opponent's three large knights are going to see straight through that plan. Or Wraith Knights. <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds like a really fun game. Insert devastating wounds here. Speaking of towing into ruins, you can't do that anymore, of course. Have a large Rogal Dawn tank that wants to navigate across the board to see through a ruin? No. You have to be wholly within the ruin to shoot out of it. How does that make sense? If your antenna is simply sticking out, you can't see through the other side? Well, I guess you can't see that nurgling an inch in front of you, but it can see you. I think there must be some kind of canoptic mirror in the way where both players can't actually see each other, but one player really can. Oh, well. Okay, let's take a breath for a second because I've covered a lot of rules here. If you're still listening and haven't left to go play the game of our beloved Ninth Edition, here's a summary on the core rules. There are zero identifiable improvements from Ninth Edition core rules because of what appears to be change for change's sake. Point two. Every model in the game has cover, especially vehicles which already have good saves and the AP of anti-tank has gotten worse. Point three. The entire fight phase has been drastically nerfed into oblivion to the point where you might as well just give up because of how terrible it is to do movement. That's if you make it across the board without being overwatched. Point four. You'll spend 15 minutes of each game asking your opponent if they want to overwatch your models. And if you don't, your opponent is probably going to miss the opportunity and then ask for an awkward take back. Point five. There's no point in flying over the last... <laughs> There's no point in flying over to Las Vegas anymore because your flying models have to move around terrain which is both a thematic loss and completely hampers 50% of existing models. Uh, that's point six. Devastating Wounds is by far the most egregious weapon profile ever created in recent times. The ability to trigger additional rules creates... Uh, the ability to trigger it with additional rules creates armies that have, that, uh, have and have-nots. Indirect Fire is boring, poor game design, spammable, and far too powerful. And you'll need your uninteractive lone operator ability to even survive out in the open versus it. All right. That's the core rules. I've covered the core rules. But unfortunately, it gets worse. Like yes, a child's. <laughs> yes, it does. Okay. I'll, I'll just continue reading straight. But sadly, yeah, it gets worse. It. Like a child's macaroni painting, Games Workshop have somehow managed to release the most confusing, undirected points release I've ever seen into the garbage wasteland of the 2023 points index. Wherever you go, it's garbage. If you compare similar units across factions, you get drastically different results for almost no reason. Take the Manticore, which is only 105 points now, and compare that to the Admech Scorpius Disintegrator, which is 195 points, almost twice as much. They both fulfill the same indirect fire rule, but arguably the Manticore is actually better than the Disintegrator. So why does one cost 90 points more? Point two. Elder is far too cheap across the board. <laughs> we all know that. Great. Knights, for whatever reason, are so cheap that they can literally stat check opposing armies with their new army-wide rule of always benefits from cover. And you sh <laughs> and shoot you where you stand with your towering models. Fantastic. It gained two army-wide rules, just from the uh, core rules, and then also got significantly cheaper. Who was one of those terrors of the end of 9th edition? Desolation Marines. You hide. I shoot you. You come out. I shoot you even better. But wait, surely these guys didn't get cheaper because their data sheets actually got better. Yep, they went down uh, almost 50% from 185 to 120. 
but compare that to sisters retribution squads with their mighty melters uh uh hold up why are sisters 10 more points than with the weapon loadout that's 20 percent as good boggles my mind okay here's a funny but direct example the carnifex and the horror Fix are in the same codex they're both gribbly big monsters however they both cost 125 points the horror Fix, well for some reason that's got six more wounds two toughness and far more output which are you taking no brainer the imperial guard valkyrie 200 points up from its cheap 140 for your bolters and transport plane that no one ever played relegated to the dace dustbin of history skatari rangers more like skatari space space marines at these prices <laughs> get them while they're hot garbage at 125 points for 10. there's absolutely zero justification for these points there's no clear direction or balance philosophy where you have some units at the same cost being significantly stronger Somehow Games Workshop have undergone the tall feat of not only being inconsistent with the points balance between factions, but they've actually managed to be so inconsistent within the very faction itself. Does the left hand even know what the right hand is doing? The only possible conclusion I can draw about the balance philosophy here is that Games Workshop has outsourced their game balance to the psychiatric ward. That's the main conclusion I've heard from people sheer and utter confusion whatever data sheet someone looks at there's one right next to it that's either mangled and decrepit because it's 200 points more than it used to be or it's pointed exactly the same as another model but has simply six more wounds and two more toughness sadly i think games workshop should be embarrassed at this point of the game design frankly it's lazy unpassionate imbalanced confusing and it leaves me with a sad feeling because we've devolved back into a games workshop design company that we had four years ago. This is really sad because over the last three years, we've had continuous improvement from games workshop. You can just tell as a competitive player, they're really trying to develop the company and these things aren't easy. But in my view, after reading the dumpster fire, we're straight back to square zero. They're back to, they're back to a square community. Oh, we're back to the square community-led balance changes corner, which frankly less than, is less than square zero. And even 18 pages of designer commentary couldn't fix that. Now, I know there's been a lot of criticism that hasn't been, that 10th edition hasn't officially been launched yet, but if you're a frequent listener, I hope you'll understand that this comes from a genuine place of wanting to see the game better, better for new players, better for competitive players, so we can grow the community and the game to the next level. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> That's the end of the monologue. <laughs> oh, you can take a breather there, Dave. And, uh, yeah. You know, I mean, you've you've hit so many so many points in a very comprehensive way, and uh, I think you've obviously uh, thought about this quite carefully before you've kind of written and spoken about all of these things. Mm. Um, while you have a little breather, maybe uh, I can share a couple of of my thoughts. Definitely, you deserve uh, maybe, a monologue yourself. Yeah, maybe uh, tie tie a few points together and, and mm-hmm. give a kind of higher level view of it because I think you've you've hit every well maybe you know for now as far as we know every single detail that we can, mm-hmm. um, and I think a couple of points. So one is I think people are obviously going to say, look, you know, you've only had the game for a little bit. You don't know how things are going to end up. And what I would reply to that is that you know observations that we make quite quickly as a competitive community tend to be on track when things are very wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe f- sometimes finding the very good things, that takes a little bit of time. People, you know, kind of, uh, oh, look, this combo has suddenly come up. We missed this one. That seems pretty good. Mm. Um, even that is reducing an amount of time for people to, to identify with how popular talking on Reddit and content creators are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... I wouldn't write off these points simply because we haven't had it for a very long period of time. I think there is a lot of correctness in what you, you've said there. Mm. The second point I would make to tie everything together is, especially from my experience, I felt that, and this is the fundamental point of why we play Warhammer 40k, is that the games don't feel very fun. Mm. That's a that's a feeling. And yep. to try and break down why I have that feeling, I thought about what is it about this game that just feels kind of boring to play? Mm-hmm. And I think 
a couple of the desi design decisions, or maybe the majority of the design decisions that you've mentioned there, combine together to create a game where melee is not very effective. Yeah. Melee is one of the most interactive parts of Warhammer 40k, mm -hmm. where people actively trade things with each other with the ability to interrupt, position their models in certain ways, defend themselves from it with lots of little tricks and abilities. They've done a issue by A, dropping the output of melee so much and mm -hmm. increasing the melee control in the game by a lot. Yeah. The amount of uh, like uh, tools you have with Overwatch, reducing people's movement, advance, and charge, mm -hmm. on top of melee really just hitting like a wet noodle most of the time, mm -hmm. means that a lot of what I'm hearing people say is, look, I'm just not going to take any combat units. I'm just going to take as much shooting as I can get. Yep. And one of the types of army design that people least enjoy playing is a pure gun line. It's mm -hmm. why historically people have not liked playing against Eldar, Tau, Imperial Guard gun lines, yeah. Imperial Knights, because they look at that across the table and they're like, okay, let's roll for first turn. Okay, there goes half my army. Yeah. Yep. And that is how so many armies are leaning towards because that is a route to success in this edition. Yep. And that is going to create a more unfun experience. That is compounded by one more thing, which is by making indirect fire really good. Mm. Indirect fire gun lines are the least fun thing to play. Yep. So now you have indirect fire with no good melee options, overwatch, which prevents you from moving into parts of the board. And that creates a static, grindy game in a lot of situations. There's no dynamic, I'm gonna push directly into you or I'm gonna approach you and then charge you with some melee units, clear certain parts of the board with my melee units and take up space. All of that's gone. You are just setting up for a slow grind against your opponent in the majority of cases. Yeah. Now, what I would say is that I think this problem is gonna be exaggerated in the competitive community. And I think the casual community may take some I have a more positive mindset about all of this mm -hmm. because actually the game is simplified in a way where if you don't look overly into the fine details, you can actually put your modules on the table. If you play a nice balanced army, you can have just a good time with it. Mm -hmm. But competitively, I think a lot of people are going to struggle to find fun games in tournaments going forward from here, potentially, yep. without if there's no change. So... Let's talk about change. We're going to get into it because if, I think we've, we've all, you know, we've all thought about, you know, how could you change this or how could you change that? And I think a really interesting point to note is that, and I'll, I'll be hundred percent honest with the listener here. I was at the point last night where I was this close to pulling an all nighter and redoing all the points myself, redoing the army traction, uh, army faction traits and, um, doing everything myself. But historically that hasn't had a really good approach with the community in the past. So, you know, I didn't want to do something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to get right. You know, you need to do it. Um, what? Well, okay. Two points here. It's not hard to do better than games workshop in this case. In fact, you could almost randomize points and it would be better. Uh, <laughs> um, but you know, you need to get a good amount of people together to do it. Um, one thing I didn't touch on was, uh, the faction identity. Now, uh, I think if you're a listener of a recent listener, you know, that I've been a pretty passionate guard player. Um, I really enjoyed the army. I actually read quite a bit, like a reasonable amount of the lore for it. And for me, that's quite a feat. Uh, I was really, really disappointed with the utterly lazy and boring design of the guard faction ability. If you stand still, you get sixes to auto wound. I mean, I think if you presented something that dull and boring to your manager, whatever your job is, they would probably tell you to come back with something a little bit better. And I think that kind of sums up a lot of the other factions as well um it's it seems like some things have just you know not really the amount of effort required hasn't really been put in there so some factions have cool army identity some factions have really dulled down army identity which is a sad thing because i think that you know that's a really uh thematic and interesting part of warhammer right you know you get orders or you know you get this like canoptic reanimation ability or something like that um, and then we've got haves and have nots in that scenario. Some obviously faction identities are far too powerful. Uh, you know, rerolling hits and wound rolls. Yeah, but yes, yeah. what's fair? What do you think, Vic? If you could mm -hmm. pick, okay, maybe let's just go right from the top. I don't mind doing it. Let's go yeah. right from the top. 
let's start with the, uh, the most devastating of them all. Devastating wounds. How would you, what would be a suggestion do you think that we could use to change this? Uh, this is much easier to fix, I think, if you just go straight back to ground zero. Mm-hmm. Um, because kind of trying to work this back is a, quite a difficult job. I think um, I think ground zero, I would have just kept devastating wounds only on melee weapons, oh. um, certain melee mm. weapons, and I would have just completely dropped it from shooting. Yep. Uh, I would have made, um, you know, uh, uh, another, uh, maybe an alternative for devastating wounds for shooting, you know, like it's uh, a plus two AP, it's rending basically. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, rending would have been cool, but I, I understand the issue because you've made vehicles so much tougher. Devastating wounds is the counter to vehicles, um, but you can't really fix that unless you go from the ground up. What I would say, an alternative is that they could have made devastating wounds only work against monsters and vehicles. Oh. Uh, and not against anything else because that kind of spillover damage on hordes can mm. can be a bit of an issue. And that's why devastating wounds are so powerful, of course, is because they they're good. They're, it's a good offensive profile against anything in the game. If mm-hmm. you're shooting a vehicle, it's great. If you're shooting hordes, it's great as well. Yeah, I, I like your solutions better than mine, which were going to be you can only trigger devastating wounds off a naturally rolled, unsubstituted six to wound, um, and it can never trigger off an, another ability like anti X, for example. You see, I, I, I don't think that fixes it because yeah, I would, think you're right. Yeah, we would just gravitate towards um, devastating wounds with rerolls because yes. the fundamental rule is too powerful with shooting. Yep, with Oath of Moments, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oath of Moments plus Desolation Marines, isn't it? Super obnoxious and boring combo. Uh, you know, one of the strongest Space Marine lists is 20 Desolation Marines, Gilliman, Oath of Moments with four rerolls to hit and wound on two targets every turn. I mean, could I think of a more boring way to play the game? <laughs> Three Wraith Knights, maybe, but <laughs> but yeah, um, outstanding uh, that that got through somehow. Oath of Moments is far too powerful as well. What a boring game design too. Every turn you just pick something, get four rolls, hit wound against it. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Having it only on melee would be a huge, bu- um, huge buff to melee and it would really allow it to differentiate itself. I think that's cool. Uh, Okay, how would you fix the benefit of cover? Do you see the benefit of cover as an issue, um, kind of both administratively and or how powerful it is? Or, um, you know, where, where, what's your take on that? I'm actually okay with a, an aspect of it. I think um, in terms of abstract, I'm quite happy if kind of like infantry models get cover if part of their model is blocked by a ruin and mm-hmm. that it's model by model basis and i think that's perfectly fine i also like that the visibility rules basically give obscuring to ruins of all sizes mm-hmm. i think that's also good for most terrain sets um, i think it becomes a little bit of an issue because actually i would give a critique of ninth edition here and say that the dense cover rules were not very good in ninth edition mm. and where the, if the, you have the ruined uh, fence or the barricade was particularly bad as well yeah so let's take like a forest for example Mm -hmm. you tipped a tiny bit of your vehicle in this forest and you would get dense cover against everything because you Mm -hmm. have to draw a line to that part of your vehicle it's kind of the same issue here if you put a little bit of your um, vehicle inside the ruin um, it's impossible for them to actually target you without giving you light cover Mm -hmm. and i would probably make it that vehicles do not get light cover mm-hmm. uh only infantry models get light cover and i think yep. uh, actually their cover rules are fine yep so the cover rules will be pretty similar to ninth edition back then one thing i would say though is i don't like is administratively it takes a long time to assess which models receive cover from which models um if you're shooting yeah. multi-units into multi-units that feels pretty bad and i think that's where ninth edition really thrived was because i'm the one who determines whether or not i receive benefit of cover because my model is touching and or my model is in the ruin. Um, so there's a little bit more of cumbersome administration to go through in, when determining cover, I think, which is a downside, but I, I fully agree with you in that vehicles receiving cover for having an aerial antenna uh, in a ruin um, is uh, bonkers because as players get better and better, tucking whatever part of your rear you know, track guard into a spindly piece of terrain it's going to be extremely common, right? Because why would you not do that? It's it's just a little bit too abstract for me. I mm. think I can't I can't actually visualize what what that what's going on there. Yeah. It's a bit weird. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, you're, the corner of you inside a forest, like the tiniest tip. Why why, why is that hard to hit the yeah. vehicle all of a sudden? <laughs> it feels gamey, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good differentiation. Uh, let's leave the charge phase for a second. I think this one you'll, you'll know a lot about. What about flying models? Because it, it has been an impact, but I think my critique here was more along the lines of thematically it feels quite bad for those models like uh, Viper, for example. It just feels unintuitive. Um, and then some models, obviously, it makes them completely uh, redundant as well. I actually think the um, the fly change was completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, they kind of did the correct thing by reducing the movement of a lot of units. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I did, yeah. Uh, just kind of like a minus two across the board in places. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that would have been fine. Just do that and keep the same fly rules. Everyone was perfect. Well, everyone says, oh, fly is so strong. Mm. But infantry already moved through ruins anyway. Yep. Um, fly is like all it's doing is completely hampering vehicles and monsters trying to fly over things and make the game very weird when these things kind of have to slowly trudge their way around a ruin rather than just go over it despite the fact that the ruin is only like (laughs) like is shorter than the monster and he (laughs) can't like just fly over it (laughs) the uh and and how difficult is it going to be to measure in 3d you know the tip of your base to the tip of that ruin diagonally and then the back of your base to the back of you know the, the other side of the lip and then back down you know it's it's, it's, it's one good. of those things where it's like, look, let's test this, guys. Let's let's make a design where fly, yeah. you know, isn't as strong. And let's put this on the board. And somehow the version that they put on when they tried it, where they moved it like a diagonal up and down, mm. um, somehow that actually got through the process as the solution is, is absolutely baffling to me. Absolutely baffling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I think we'll leave the, the last two big ones for last. Uh, well there's three actually man there's so much here um let's this is another small one lone operative where do you sit on that one because this is something that was raised by a teammate of ours and i think it's a legitimate point that 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 there's a big discrepancy between characters having lone operative and not having lone operative i think i'll give you an example the swarm lord costs 250 points now now points aside he's a 10 wound character that can be shot anywhere on the board Games Workshop knows that they've printed Oath of Moments and knows that they've made Desolation Marines cheap. So you can almost kill a Swarm Lord with 10 Desolation Marines from across the board with Oath of Moments. Mm-hmm. Um, where pre- you know, previously, that would be a little bit more difficult, uh, and but the Bodyguard also got um, uh, uh, more expensive. But you know, perhaps a different model, um, something like a, a Farseer, for example, that you could freely shoot if they weren't joined into a unit. What's your, you know, is there a huge difference now that we feel between models that have learned operative and those that don't? Okay, so my my point is surpri- probably surprisingly positive here, mm-hmm. um, because I think the way they've done the character rules overall, I'm a big fan. Really? I, I, yeah, I know, I know. I, I actually really like it because I feel like it adds flavor and you look <laughs> for combos and uh, wow. um, I, I kind of like it um i felt the character have you ever defense... played a uh have you played a hive tyrant before vic uh oh no I, I oh i i agree with you the way they've done it for some characters is incorrect mm. and one of the things that they've designed incorrectly is the lone operative rule mm. because i think the lone operative rule has been kind of made into the stealthy thing mm. uh, which is which is fine a lot of these units are a little bit stealthy yep. um slime and i think it goes beyond that because this rule can't be targeted outside 12 is actually across a range of units, not yes. just um, lone operatives. Mm-hmm. And this fundamental rule actually is allowing some armies to function in what is a very bad um, kind of meta, yes. potentially that's developing, yep. uh, where shooting is so overwhelming, indirect fire is so prevalent, yep. that the ability to be able to stand outside 12 inches is hugely, uh, stand outside 12 inches and not be shot, is hugely powerful for controlling uh, primary and not just dying. Yep. Um, so I don't mind lone operative, but I feel like it should have one more restriction on it, like it can't be the closest unit, or yes. you know, you have to be near one of your friendly units to get it. Most something definitely. like that. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just reiterate that um, ninth edition was obviously if you're within range three inches of another unit, you know, you couldn't be shot, right? Um, the closest. However, if you were the closest, so I think lone operative should be uh, made the same way in that if you, uh, you know, if this is the closest target model, you can shoot them from twenty inches away, for example. I uh, not also, closest visible. Oh, sorry, but <laughs> not the closest visible, but the closest you know actual mm-hmm. model to model. Um, uh, I I would actually love it to be uh, closest visible, just to cut off indirect oh. fire from it. To be honest, 
mm-hmm. I would love that. That would be the, the most on the pulse Oof. of the game kind of change that they could do. There you go. Um, you know? <laughs> it would just be bang on. That would be like, I, we understand indirect fire is too good. We understand how the meta is developing. Here is our change to loan operative, and it corrects multiple yeah. things at the same time. I think one thing that's not mentioned right now is that this is assuming that they make melee better. Right. So what Vic and I are not proposing is that they nerf loan operative and nothing else changes. <laughs> like, we want to see melee get substantially better. In fact, we want to see melee usable. In fact, I've, maybe out of all the games I've played and watched, I've seen about one or two combats, and they were 20 Kriegsmen charging 20 Neophytes or whatever that deep struck three inches away from me. <laughs> oh, it's very hard to do any kind of melee. Uh, and tough. then when you get there, uh, like even the most premium melee units just kind of don't do anything. Yeah. Let's talk about getting there, though, because <laughs> you've got to get through Overwatch. Uh, mm-hmm. This is, I think, the single most defining stratagem they maybe have ever printed. They have gave them the stratagem access to every army. It, what if you're playing? You can Overwatch someone because it's a core part of the game. And they've printed, I don't know if they like knew that they were going to make this mistake, but when you print something that triggers 20 times in each player's turn and everyone has access to it, it's going to be kind of difficult to track because it's just, you know, oh, I could do this now. Oh, I could do this now. Oh, do you want to do this? Well, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's been a centrally game-defining part of how games play, um, what units I think will be good. Uh, I don't know. Have you had similar kind of thoughts, Vic? Or experiences, um, I guess? I think... So my understanding, and I've heard a few like comments and things from people in the know, people who may be involved with it, that this was kind of done to slow down the game, improve the survivability, cut off areas of the board that things can enter. And what? I think it's... exactly See, the what response is the fact that it potentially is doing exactly the opposite. It is slowing down the game in a way because... But why you would you kind want to of... slow the game down? <laughs> to, but I don't agree that it's necessarily increasing the survivability of things. And I also think that it um, it kind <laughs> of... It, it's written in a way that it's too powerful. The restrictions are very... There's not very many restrictions except for the can only hit on sixes. Mm-hmm. It's done at 24 inches, which is too high. <sighs> it's done at multiple moments, start of move, end of move, yeah. uh, charge, uh, set up. Set up, yeah. It's a 24-inch uh, kind of spec scan for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, you can use while... it, and you can use it multiple times because there are multiple stratagems that say you can specifically use Overwatch more than once for zero CP. I think, uh, unfortunately, it's another factor that really pushes melee out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, forces us into having very powerful shooting as the main archetype of, of this edition. Yep. Um, I think it's a big miss, the design on this one. I think it's it's not going to be a positive experience for people. People are not like, cool, you know, I'm setting up my Overwatch position. I don't think it's going to work like that. No. They're going to be like, oh, oh uh, hey, hey, Steve, I could have Overwatched you there. Do you mind if I Overwatch you? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I've got sustained hits three. Uh, I roll a six. Um, and I do critical I hits on fives. Hits. Yeah. Um, oh, shit. Sorry. Yeah, Steve, your melee unit's dead. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess you were still 20 inches away, man. So, you know, they probably weren't going to charge you. <laughs> um, you know, obviously the powerful combination here is you can use it with torrent weapons as well. And with torrent weapons, this is literally one CP shoot again. What you do is, uh, you know, you want a really easy combo. You take Zinch Flamers. Six flamers, an exalted flamer. You deep strike him within three inches behind the, you know, which is really hard to screen. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you flame one unit. If all of your models are within twelve inches of another unit, and then your or multiple units, your opponent can either choose to move them or not move them at all. And then you just get to shoot again for one CP. Uh, yeah. Really, really busted. And then of course, if you've got fate dice or miracle dice, <laughs> I think more. the correct and thematic way of doing this. Uh, because uh, you see, I think what they've tried to create is this situation like in um, Kill Team or in you know their Grey Knights computer game where you pick a unit and they they set up for Overwatch and they mm. control this space. Anyone walks into it, you shoot them. And I would have loved to have seen it be like a one CP stratagem. You don't shoot on a turn, mm-hmm. but if an enemy unit comes within twenty four inches, you can then hit them on sixes. Yeah. So you've kind of pre set it up. Yep. Uh, I think that's cool, thematic, and you know, it might work because like your flamer unit that's just set up, 
um, let's say you know it's uh, it, it sets up for this action and it's hidden behind around a wall mm-hmm. uh, in Deep Strike. It's got behind enemy lines and it's just there waiting for someone to dip <laughs> in around the corner yeah. and you shoot them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, for, I, I love the way. I love the suggestion of um, of making it so you, it would be an action that you would do. So you you know you deep strike in or you move your unit out. It does the action mm-hmm. and then you know your opponent knows. Okay, well at least I can you know do it there. But it's too often that Overwatch is shoot again. That's the fundamental problem. Yep. You think Hive Guard would broken two CP to shoot again? Overwatch is a generic stratagem that anyone can do. Yep. It's uh yeah, it's very frustrating to play against, and it's very cumbersome to play against as well. In my experience, definitely, it slows the game down significantly, especially. And I think that as people get better, they will design lists to use Overwatch more extensively. Some, it's, um, it's it almost becomes a game of Overwatch at some point, aren't we? Uh, I think uh, what I've noticed actually in the games that I've played is that Overwatch makes you feel a little bit helpless sometimes. Hmm. Like your all your tactical nuance kind of, it's, it's okay, but it doesn't really matter. Look, I'm just moving my unit here. I know it's going to die to Overwatch. Yeah. Okay, let's move my next unit in. And it, it, it adds to the lack of fun in, yep. in the game. Uh, yeah. But I'd be really interested to hear what comment, like the comments say about Overwatch. Yeah. Uh, because I would be really amazed if there's a mixture of opinions or if everyone dislikes Overwatch. For sure, yes. Um, I think this is going to get mixed ones as well. Towering, are you a fan? What's the, what's the go with this? Because previously we had, obviously, if you're above 18 wounds, you can just be seen regardless, right? Yeah, this is, this is a really stupid rule. <laughs> the, 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 this is one that truly confuses me. Like, I, I don't understand why knights needed this. Um, it's yeah. was there a problem with the previous knight design? Like, was it already not something that could be made good? Like mm. knights at the moment, with the current points cost that they've just been given, will be good without towering. Yeah, for sure. And they'll be fair and balanced. There yep. is no need to mess up everyone's terrain sets. Yes. And create such an unfun experience for everyone yep. by introducing towering. This one is, I think, out of everything. It, the one it maybe doesn't have the biggest impact on the game, but I think it's one of the stupidest game design decisions they've yeah. made. Oh, uh, you know, oh, I can see you, man. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, by the way, I mean, my knight isn't taller than this terrain feature, but uh, you know, I can see you because I have towering. Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah. Go shoot my marines, man. That's fine. Yeah, um, cool. Yeah, well, I'll shoot with all my bulk It's my knight tyrant, and uh, yeah, you did, man. Um, yeah, uh, baffling change. I feel really sorry for all the tournament organizers because this is completely in the face of how ninth edition was designed. Mm-hmm. So imagine if you're a tournament organizer, imagine you own 500 sets of UKTC and all of a sudden a rule comes out that potentially breaks your main terrain format. Or, uh, or even just great. people with beautiful terrain, which exactly. they designed with actual windows and things yeah. in them. Uh, which look good, which is the big benefit of skewering, and to be fair, a benefit of their current visibility rules mm-hmm. outside of towering. Yes, I agree. Now, oh, we're getting uh, okay. So we did. Uh, okay, indirect fire. Uh, oh my my just it. picking the topics that are annoying me more and more. I see the order of this. <laughs> I mean, you said that towering was the most stupid, but is it actually indirect fire? Uh, I would. I think the indirect fire is the stupidest change because. It goes in direct face of their previous knowing, knowingly successful rules change. There was a point in ninth edition where the indirect fire penalty didn't exist. And Games Workshop introduced what actually I think was universally liked as a good change for indirect fire. Minus one ballistic skill and um, not minus one to hit and then plus one save, not cover. So you get cover and, uh, and save. I think this was a great change to the game. Um, it really toned down indirect, indirect fire. Indirect fire was still useful, but it wasn't as powerful. It didn't feel like you'd get blown off the board with indirect fire. I mean, you know, Desolation Marines came along and subsequent things. But um, yeah, why did they make it better, Vic? No one likes indirect fire. No, I don't even like it. And I'm probably going to have to play three Manticores and three Basilisks, right? And that's like 650 points. So yeah. that's that's nuts. And the thing is, like, forget everything else. Forget how good they are. No one likes it. No one likes so. playing yeah. against big knights that can see through windows. Just, like, consider that and make the rules appropriately to that. Because yeah. let's take an example. Towards the end of ninth edition, 
we had no good indirect fire in the game in a small window before mortars came out. Now, mm. the profile of mortars is nothing compared to the 10th edition <laughs> indirect profiles. But that one unit alone was enough to shift the entire meta. Yeah. And that's one of the weakest indirect fire units. It's, yeah. It just needs a whiff of being good to yeah. actually cause such a massive negative impact on the game. Mm -hmm. And then you had Desolation Marines, which are still mediocre indirect fire, mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter if it's mediocre. If it's good enough that you can just take loads of them and skew games, people competitively will take them. Mm -hmm. Now we have multiple units across multiple factions, which have got buffs across the board, they're negative uh, things of minus one to hit indirect and and give the enemy cover is so easily ignored by a lot of their own rules on the indirect fire that it's like they've made a purposeful decision to make indirect fire a big part of the game, yeah. which baffles me because it's one of the least fun things. No one likes it. Yeah. You know what? You know what this strikes me as? I think when they test games and by the way, I'm going to say something because I'm fucking pissed off about this. Now, I understand this is not a perfect system, but, oh, this irritates me. There are playtesters who playtest this game. And now, Vic and I are not affiliated with anything GW does. We don't have any contracts, nothing at all. We purposefully do that. We try to give an honest, unbiased opinion of our game. Now, there are playtesters that playtest this game, have playtested 10th edition for quite a significant amount of time before all of this stuff got written. Now, I understand that as a playtester, your thoughts might not get heard. I granted, I, I doubt the system is far from perfect. I've heard the stories, you know, I submitted feedback, didn't get listened to, whatever, right? But aside from playtesters, has Game Workshop actually gone, oh, let's buff indirect, but hold up, maybe, um, hey, Steve, do you just want to play an army of only indirect? We'll just, we'll just, just rock up the points here really quick and um, let's just play a game really quick because I'm curious to see if you only play indirect, Steve, how how is the game going to go? And um, if they had done that at all, they probably would have realized that they'd be playing ninth edition really quick, right? Because <laughs> they'd be like, well, I'd be like, well, Steve, you didn't really play the game at all. You kind of just um, looked at your weapon profiles a lot and um, asked me what my defensive profiles were and shot everything that was close to me. Um, Steve. But they are aware it's a problem. This is are the they? thing. Yes, because the balanced data slate that they released at the end of ninth edition specifically mm -hmm. targeted indirect fire in actually quite intelligent ways yes. with a dr drastic reduction in the power of indirect fire anyway. Yep. Look at the guard codex when it was released. Mm -hmm. The only decent indirect fire in there was the mortar. Yep. And everything else, okay, maybe you could take one or two units competitively, but it's going to be more of a casual kind of thing that yep. you take in your list to be thematic. Mm -hmm. It does a little bit of plink damage, you know? Mm -hmm. And that is how indirect fire should be. Mm -hmm. They got the design in and they took a huge leap backwards yep. afterwards. And not only did they do this, so this is one half of the indirect equation. Oh, this, there's three halves to this. <laughs> the, the, the other third is that if you look at the indirect guns, they have all the best keywords too. Mm -hmm. Ignores cover, heavy, blast. And it's like, okay, like I get you want to make indirect good, but why does the very weapon that has indirect penalty, minus one to hit, also get plus one to hit from heavy? What? Why does it ignore cover when the benefit of shooting indirect from my opponent is that they receive cover? <sighs> what? Okay, 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 sure. I can get past that. Maybe, okay, maybe they messed up the indirect saves and, uh, and they realized that, oh, cover, you don't get as much cover as you would have thought. But then why would they make indirect so cheap? Mm -hmm. The Manticore is 105 points. The Basilisk is 110 points. The Wyvern is 90-something points. For, and by the way, just for reference, I don't think Guard is anywhere near the most powerful codex. But what this does... Is it, and this is thematic across lots of other indirect that uh, armies have access to, uh, Desolation Marines, support platforms, Night Spinners, you name it. They've got it, um, apart from Admech, because they don't get anything fun anymore. Um, but the problem is that they've also combined the points for indirect specifically to be very cheap. Why is a tank commander 240 points when a Manticore is 105? I mean, what kind of, what kind of game are you telling me to play here? You could shoot them directly, and they would be better than yeah. the tank commander. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's indirect fire. 
Okay. Um, with, oh, yeah, okay. Is there well, any I think more? There's one more. There's oh. one more big one. Well, then we've got the points, so I'd like to hear our thoughts on yeah, that, of course. Good. The fight phase. Now, um, oh, okay. No, I'm more positive than you on this one. Really? Uh, I'm I'm very disappointed with the power level of melee. I would but okay, I'm, but 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 mm, okay. Go on then. Hit there's me. two there's two separate points here. One is the power level of melee. That's mm -hmm. fine. My critique here, just to recap, is more about the fight phase rules design set mm -hmm. is more convoluted, two hundred and fifty percent more difficult to do and administrate, but achieves ninety percent of the same outcome. Now you may not have gone to combat too much with your wraith knights, Vic. But uh, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Go on. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say that I, I personally think the ninth edition fight phase rules were not perfect. Mm -hmm. I think they allowed for a huge amount of skill expression, but they were very unintuitive in the way that you could charge a unit, but then half of your units going off in completely a different direction. Mm -hmm. And I think they've gone some of the way towards correcting that. And what they've got wrong is a few factors. Um, the fact that you have to go into base contact, but you can pick the order of models that yes. go there means that you can kind of, you, you can play around it and, and make it work, but that's not what they were aiming for. So they haven't achieved their goal. Well, I'm pretty sure they haven't achieved their goal with this. <laughs> um, they've just made it much more complex for the players and kind of just seem a little bit weird when you're playing it on the board. Mm -hmm. I think they did the correct thing by removing the pile in move, the consolidate move. Mm -hmm. I think that personally, I think that's perfectly fine. All they had to do for the ninth edition rules was say that you have to move um, closer to the en enemy model yep. than your charge move mm -hmm. and say it remove the pile and move. And then you immediately have a situation where the game is much more intuitive for everyone. Yeah. While also people who are of a higher skill level not able to abuse it against people who don't understand these unintuitive tricks. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. Uh, the rules as they currently stand are difficult to um, uh, interpret and interpret, and they're difficult to do correctly as well. And by do correctly, I mean, yes, charge my units, block my bases so I can do this and do that and do that, because that's the way that competitive players push the game. That's the point of being a competitive player, is to get better at these phases of the game. Um, something I've had to uh, do a lot, and um, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. You, you know what, Dave? I think... All they've done is compound the issue of how bad melee is. Yes, like, oh, definitely. Yeah. Melee is so bad, so the fight phase is unimportant. But let's say you want to try and do some fight phase <laughs> stuff. It's going to be a pain in the backside to try yeah. and do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so maybe this won't matter so much because, you know, what melee units are you really bringing? Yeah, it, doesn't, yeah. it literally doesn't matter because melee is just so bad yeah. in the game at the moment. Would you say... Now, now, this might be a bit of a bold statement, because I think very fairly, we said that the secondary system, primary system, was very fun to play, right? In our previous yeah. episodes, we said, mm -hmm. you know, this is great. Thinking about it, you know, you, there's so many layers to consider. And I think actually playing the game, that primary and secondary um, newness, for lack of better words, but even design, I think carries a lot of the bad parts of the game. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the core game without, okay, the fact that you've got new secondaries and stuff like that, you know, just this is what this is how we're thinking of it is aside from the primary and secondaries can you identify one single core rule that's an improvement from ninth edition uh i like the characters okay joining leaders units sure. but uh, lone operative ruins it mm -hmm. so you're so you actually no i can see that point it's not actually better um you it's might tough, be right. Look, if Vic is struggling here, look, I, by the <laughs> way, Vic didn't know I was going to ask you this stuff. So I think uh... that just goes to show um, that on the core rules, what I think they did was they, you know, and I can kind of appreciate, I work in a big organization. I can appreciate how these things might play out, right? You know, they go, hey, you know, Steve, we've got to create a new edition. You know, we want some new stuff in addition, right? You know, we don't want to just sell the customer the same thing. You know, we want to introduce some new stuff, change some stuff. And um, I think that's what we got. And I think what Games Workshop have done is they've, I've, it feels like to me, like they've designed the edition from a blank canvas. Whereas what they should have done, and any good software developer would know this, is you build and iterate upon your previous model that you have. Now, I'm not saying you don't, I'm, I'm okay with change for change for, for the sake of change. That's fine. But as long as it's an improvement, for God's sake, it's, you know, there's so many ways that they could have, changed ninth edition to be better like dense cover for example is just straight up you know easy one right 
oh, you have to be holy within the forest to get dense cover. You know, okay, that's a good change. They could have implemented leaders uh, into um, uh, into into the ninth edition rule set, and that would have been fun and flavorful too, right? Mm. All right, it's, but uh, yeah, it's stressful because I think um, I can almost give them that they get the balance on the indexes wrong. Uh, maybe not give them as wrong as they did get it, like as weird, mm. but I, I can kind of see how that can happen. It's very, very tough to do. Yeah. But I can't really let them off the hook on the core rule design. Yeah. Because that's something which is very playtestable all mm -hmm. the way across the board and very easy to tweak and improve and make sure it is actually fun and dynamic. Mm -hmm. And uh, to miss the mark um, on that to the point where I think it's going to take a lot of effort on their side. And I think they are going to do it though. Um, I think it's going to take a lot of effort for them to make corrections going forward. I, I really hope they do, and I'm pretty confident they will, because I think the community feedback I can already see it's quite severe. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not yeah. the it's not the launch of an edition you would want to see. Um, uh, so we'll yeah. see. But that's one half of the equation. Mm -hmm. The the internal game design, how we play the game, is one thing, but how much stuff you get is another. It's kind of like you go shopping, you know? It's like, well, this is pretty cheap. I'll take that. Pretty cheap. I'll take that. But the store you choose is not the, uh, is not, you don't get to pick the store, you see, because those are the rules we've got. Well, <laughs> what is your impression? What was your initial impression when you read the, when you read the points? Run me through what was going through your head when you were looking across the points document. Um, you see, I'm in a lucky position that I can focus on WTC. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, a team tournament. It's a world team championships where, you know, imbalances in the game do not impact teams in the way that they impact singles. Mm -hmm. And I think flicking through, and I have my certain factions which I'm assigned to. So I mm. went to those and tried to identify, look, are the costs what I predicted them to be? Are they too high? Are they too low? How are they relative to ninth edition on my four factions? Mm -hmm. And um, I found a, a bit of a mix, which is fine. You know, some of them were really sure. overpriced. Like Grey Knights was just priced <laughs> through the roof. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fine. Okay, I can read that off. Um, and then <laughs> I started identifying one or two things which are severely undercosted, mm -hmm. which again, I did kind of expect there would be one or two things that go through there. Yep. But my first thought was, I am so glad that I'm not playing singles. <laughs> yeah. Because I know the impact one or two very severely imbalanced units can have on the state of the game. Mm -hmm. And the thing was, in this situation, there were uh, a number of them across the board, mm -hmm. which is going to affect very negatively singles list design and the singles meta. Mm -hmm. Almost an inevitability, I'd say. That was probably where I was. Uh, yeah, so I was talking with, I was hanging out uh, in a Discord, I hang out quite a bit, uh, and there was a bunch of people in there. I think to summarize, I think confusion was probably the most poignant emotion I think I felt from people. Just confusion. Why is this that? Why is this this? Why? Why? It uh, there doesn't seem to be any discernible matrix or algorithm for pointing things, right? Oh, yeah, it's definitely not done like that. It's done. Um, you see, because I think you, in terms of external balance, you can't necessarily point things to the same algorithm, but that for doesn't sure. excuse uh, discrepancies in internal balance. Mm -hmm. Um, especially very blatantly obvious ones, because it only takes one proofread to see that Carnifexes and Harrowspexes shouldn't the be points. the same price, Yeah, uh, which is a very glaring example of an issue that is present across the board. Yeah. How are your sisters feeling, Vic? Yeah, sisters, you know what? They're pointed okay. Mm -hmm. um, actually, it's it's an opposite case. They're pointed okay, but they're... Um, In relation the to Desolation Marines? Uh, <laughs> It's, it's an interesting one. I think that's more an issue of the Desolation Marines being severely undercosted. For sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, Devastators in there as well. Stern Guard in there as well. Uh, you know, Scouts. Oh, yeah. Stern Guard are wild. I don't understand scouts, that point, Scouts. Uh, somehow two wounds uh, and damage two now. And they yeah. only went up five points a model. I, I think, you know, I don't want to dilute the um, excellent points you made on yeah, core right. rules by picking out the discrepancies in the index, because I think we were much more prepared for that mm -hmm. than we were for the um, core rule issues. Yeah, uh, And I think that, it, that you've highlighted so many key points that I hope somehow spread through the community to be a, a kind of a influence on positive change in the game. Because uh, what we don't want is 10th edition to be so unfun. And, and I've played against people now who've been saying, look, I just want to take a break from all this and come back yeah. later. 
um, which is which not what you want at the start and certainly wasn't how the start of ninth edition was. Yeah. So um, there's a tournament, tournament called Bristol, which uh, was going to be 10th edition. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go play 10th edition. It's going to be sick. Then it was like, oh, it's going to be ninth edition. Then I was like, oh, I'm probably not going to go. And then um, after seeing all these points and stuff like that, I was like, fuck, maybe I should go play ninth edition. <laughs> and I think in a couple of months time, people, if there's no change, we had, we had a meme in our team chat. <laughs> I think I started, I said, look guys, three months time from now, people are going to be like, yeah, anyone want to play a game of uh, good old ninth edition? <laughs> um, which is, uh, I think summarizes uh, all the points we've tried to make here is that I think given the development we saw of Games Workshop as a company over the last three years of the edition, really positive developments. And Vic and I have sung the praises of Games Workshop where they've done really well. So that company to produce something that is such a wasteland of garbage is surprising. It's very odd. Uh, it's not what we expected. Uh, we had some early indication signals, but we also had some early indicational signals that things were going to be good. They changed Stern Guard beforehand. They did make changes to support weapons, as we've heard, and War Walkers beforehand, unit sizes and points. Uh, so here's hoping that Games Workshop work as swiftly and as agilely on the fundamental core rules of the game and the point systems. Games Workshop, if you listen to this, there are a plethora of people that would just be begging to help you balance the game because you are the one authoritative figure on how the game should be played. And there's no reason, there is no excuse to have an imbalanced game to this degree, especially after we've come from what is maybe a Goldilocks field of competitive spirit. I think we'll end it there. It's been Fireside episode 28. It's been the Rantathon. I feel like we've had a good discussion. It's got to get out there. If you've got your thoughts, let us know. Post on the Reddit, post on the YouTube. Uh, even if they're contrary, say, Dave, look, you're a total jackass. You ain't this is shit. the best game ever. I love this game. My friends overwatched and the shit out of my friends. I think that's the key point. Yeah. We're, we're so passionate about it because we do really love the game. And uh, all of this is just a push towards a sharing our thoughts with the community and getting people to discuss things. And uh, we know community response creates change in the game. So let's see what happens. There we go. Jazz time. Boom. <laughs> see you guys. <laughs> You've been listening to the 40k fireside podcast if you really enjoy our content vic and i would greatly appreciate it if you left a like comment or subscribe to our channel we also really appreciate if you leave a review or comment on one of our social media posts as well have a good evening